Good morning. This is week 15 of our Gospel of John series. When you were a little one, or maybe when you were even close to faith, somebody handed you this Gospel. And and you begin to read through it, and, and there was just some amazing perspective that happened. And maybe some of the lights came on. You know, I I trust that as we meet each Sunday as a community to worship, as we pray, as we sing, as we praise, and as we open up God's Word, we hope that you are learning who Jesus is. That you might know and obey and enjoy Christ so that you might make Him known. You know, the Apostle John has been giving us some snapshots of Jesus. Are you starting to get enamored with Jesus? Not like before the series you didn't like Jesus, or he wasn't cool, or he wasn't the Son of God, or he wasn't your Savior, or he wasn't the... But as you spend time with Jesus, looking at him, understanding how he thinks and how he acts. There is no one like Jesus. And we come and we, we praise and we worship. And we hear stories. And our hearts are filled. You know, the fisherman John flat out loved Jesus. He penned this gospel a little bit different than the other gospel writers. It was right near the very end of his life. Death was on the horizon. John had an agenda. And I love when teachers or writers have an agenda, and they put it right out, because sometimes I'm a little slow. And so if I know really what John wants to do, which is found in chapter 20, verse 31... Then as I read through the gospel, something begins to illuminate for me. But John wrote this so that we might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You know, each week we watch Jesus and we learn from Jesus. Jesus came to earth seeking out the lost and the wandering in order to offer them hope. Sometimes, again, there's a few of us who who perhaps have known Jesus for a long time and had a relationship with Jesus for a long time and, and forgot even how lost people feel or those who are far from God, or those who are running from God. And and sometimes we don't understand the despair. Now, yes, we may see it at times. But walking with God changes us. You know, in John's Gospel, we have seen lost religious leaders and neighbors. Both ends of the spectrum. We have seen disciples who are aimless and confused. We have seen folks desperate for Christ's healing touch. If, if they could just talk to them. 
I know things would be different. And every one of these folks had their lives radically changed because they met Jesus. Now we're in a section where Jesus is starting to make ludicrous claims. Absolutely crazy talk. But he backs up everything he says. Jesus shocks the crowds and angers the religious when he proclaimed that he literally is the Son of God. He is the the Messiah, the person that the Jews have been waiting for for centuries. Well, the crowds have been enamored for two years now by his teaching and miracles. John doesn't do well in recording everything chronologically. We can look at Luke and we can look at Matthew and there's a whole lot of stories that we're kind of missing. But when we enter our spot in in John chapter 6 today, really Jesus probably had finished two years of public ministry. He was probably entering his last year. So from this point in John chapter 6 all the way to the end of John chapter 21, we're just kind of looking at his last life here on the, or his last year here on the planet. As you know that the crowds have been enamored. They want to crown him king. Right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 men and the crowds that were all with them, they loved that their bellies were filled. Now, I just got to say this to you. You know, back in that culture, underneath the Roman rule, it was not easy for a Jew. It just wasn't. And we look at that and say, oh, how shallow were these people? I mean, really? They want to make a guy king because he just provides, you know, a, a little bit of food? Like, what's with that? Well, the problem is, is that none of us can relate. And even as I shared a little bit of feed my starving children, do you really think a little manna pack is going to make a difference in a, in a family's home? Do you really think that? When you're there and you're putting in these nutrients and combining this rice and all this kind of stuff, and, and the pack's about this big, you really think that's going to make a difference? Oh, my word. Think about not having a full stomach. So these Jews were pretty excited. I don't know when the last time they had a full gizzard. I don't. But Jesus came, provided that, and of course, yeah, that's the kind of guy we want. We want a guy that's going to make sure that we have our daily needs, that we have some food. This is awesome. So yeah, let's make him king. But Jesus knew this was not God's way. So he acted quickly. He sent the disciples out in a boat. And if you've been with us, you've followed this. And he sent the crowds to go back home. He said, you guys leave. And he went up on a hill to really spend some dad time. He needed to be able to reconnect with his father. And so everybody else is elsewhere, and he's up on a hill. And we saw last year that he was interacting with God, his Father. And he saw out in the sea 
Well, the disciples were in trouble. Jesus walked down the water, rescued the disciples, and helped them grow their faith. Now, you would think after two years that people would be getting Jesus a little better. But I think what you're going to find out today, literally, is that Jesus is a little bit impatient. I think so. I think he's a little frustrated. He's wondering why people really aren't responding to this beautiful offer of life that he has given so very, very faithfully. So today, he seems to draw a line in the sand as he begins his third year of ministry. If you have your Bibles or flat screens, would you turn with me to John chapter 6? We're going to start reading at verse 22, and I've asked Sam Wilson, my friend, not that Sam Wilson has never been my friend, but Sam, would you read for us, starting at verse 22 through verse 35? The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when do you, did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give the bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be th hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be so active this morning. We pray that we would hear from you personally and directly. Lord, there are so many things that are in competition for the bread in our lives. Things that we think will sustain us. Things that we think are priorities. And Jesus, in the most humble way, and yet it's so clear that I am the living bread. 
I'm the one who's going to sustain. I'm the one who's going to give purpose. I'm the one if you take me. We'll give you life. Abundant life and eternal life. Lord, you're really clear. But there's a lot of things in our culture, in our worlds that, that compete for being the bread. Father, I pray even now for all the different churches in the area here. Churches that are faithfully proclaiming your word. Churches, Father, that are lighthouses. Churches that are sending people out every single day into the marketplace so they can be salt and light. I pray in particular for New Hope Christian with Pastor Gary and Grace Point Church with Pastor John and House of Prayer with Pastor Abram. God, we know that these pastors and these people love you. Would you open their eyes today? Would you ignite your church here in this city, in this county, and all over the world. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You know, we live in a culture that is hungry, desperate for meaning and hope in life because our world is broken. Humans were created to serve God and have fellowship with Him from the beginning. God was their focus and fulfillment. There was an aching void deep within their souls when Adam and Eve left God. Whoa, whole long time ago. But that has been passed on to us. Jeremiah puts it well in his prophecy in chapter 2, verse 13. He said this, Israel have a, has abandoned me. The very fountain of living water and have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So they think that certain things will supply life and encouragement, and they find out, oh, it all leaks out. Many use their freedom to scurry around trying to find life, but they find a deep, meaningless hole. People exist or survive, and that must break God's heart. You know, I see it all the time. As a pastor, oftentimes people will visit with me, or I'll chat with them. And we'll interact with one another. And they'll begin to open up just a little bit. And we talk about life. And we talk about work. And we talk about marriage. We talk about family. And so many times, I get to see people at the very end of their ropes. Sometimes they walk with God, but many times they're running from God. And I have the opportunity to be able to be really smart and give them great wisdom. That's not your pastor. You know what I get to do? I get him to point him to Jesus. That's all I do. It's not even rocket science. 
It's He's the one who's going to satisfy you. And if you run from Him, that marriage is never going to heal. I'm just letting you know. Oh, but if we had more money, and if our kids would... I'm telling you, money and perfect kids still don't do it. It's Jesus. He sustains, He gives, He empowers, He strengthens, He gives you energy for the day. And we can run. We can can separate ourselves. But there's that ache. You see, people exist or survive. So Jesus knew this. God knew this. God so loved the world that he sent his son into this world. This fallen world of disappointment. You see, Jesus is the bread of life. He is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of the human soul. It is through a relationship with Jesus that sinners, that's us, can be forgiven and restored. And this is the good news of the kingdom. The good news is that broken people can get fixed. But you can't get fixed without Jesus. In our text today, we find Jesus teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. His message was plain, really. If you read all the way through this text, he says, God's desire for you is to believe in me. You people are missing it. You find that especially in verse 40. But he shocks the gathering with this vivid word picture. Now, being the bread of life is... Not that shocking. But as we read today, if you look at what Jesus' words were, it absolutely appalled the Jews. Now Sam read for us verses 22 to 35. And basically Jesus is starting off his little soliloquy and says, don't be so concerned about physical food. I actually want you to work hard and spend your energy on what will last forever. Your work actually is believing, believing in me, when actually, and ironically, it's not work. God offers you living bread, not manna. Manna was so temporary. But he offers you, and he offers me himself. He said, I am the bread that God is offering to a world, and I am only the one who will give you life. And then the crowd says, sir, out of respect, give us this daily bread or this physical bread. At this moment, are you kidding me? I mean, Jesus has been trying to explain this. He goes, I'm not talking about Wonder Bread. I'm not talking about Brownberry. I'm not talking about Thanksgiving dinner. I'm talking about me. About me. Look at verse 35 and 36, and we're going to start here. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. 
He says, I am the bread. You've seen me do all these miracles. I've been around for the last two years, but you do not get it. You know, the sad reality is they didn't believe that there was more to Jesus. They didn't. The crowds actually started to murmur. It's the same word back if you, if you remember and follow a little bit of the Israelites' wanderings uh, back in the land of, uh, on their, in the desert trying to go to Canaan. And you would hear often, especially in Exodus and Numbers, that the children of Israel murmured. It's the same thing. They're, they're complaining. And they're basically saying, okay, you keep telling us you're the bread of life, but we know your parents. What's going on? And Jesus states, he goes, quit complaining, quit murmuring. Perhaps frustrated or just the time for Jesus to be frank. So look at verse 47. We're going to read through verse 51. Verse 47. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Now Jesus is doing a few things here, and you need to be aware of that. First of all, he's starting to encompass all the world, which to a Jew would be a little bit disgusting because the Messiah was supposed to come and the Savior just for Israel. All the good old boys, you know. But Jesus is expanding this just a little bit. And he's letting them know that God loves the world and came for the world. Whoa. This is quite the text. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And the bread is my flesh. Jesus at this moment is saying, I offer my body to the world so that they might live. Christ is referring to his sacrificial death on the cross. Now look at verse 52, which is a perfect response, one you can understand completely. Then the people begin arguing with each other what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. That's a great question. In fact, some of you are asking, like, like doesn't the Bible just actually just say this? Aren't we supposed to, like, really look at this literally? And, and um, like, what's Jesus talking about? Like, we, are we really supposed to just start eating his flesh? Well, Jesus doesn't even answer that. In verse 56... We start there. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. 
But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. So Jesus stops there, doesn't answer the questions. They're asking, how can I actually do this? And all he does is repeat it. Which you're like, well, well Jesus, what's, what's going on? He just said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have eternal life. You will not experience the resurrection. He says, my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. If you remain in me, or you remain in me if you eat and drink. Now again, it takes a little bit more than a casual reading to really understand this metaphor that, that Jesus is trying to get across. There's no doubt. It almost sounds though like you have to be a cannibal in order for you to have life. Now, Eating and drinking is a metaphor that Jesus used to show us two needs. Two needs that are critical. Again, if you write in your Bibles or if you don't, maybe you should start in some of these areas. And it will, it will help you maybe understand this, especially if you go back over this text. But what Jesus is trying to do is showing the need to assimilate by faith Christ's death for oneself. We need a Savior. We need to be able to recognize that Jesus Christ himself died on the cross to pay the debt for our sin, and we need to align ourselves with Jesus. We need to ask God to be that Savior for us. Secondly, it shows the need for continual nourishment. If you've been around again our church long, you have heard often how important it is for you to nurture a relationship with the Almighty God. And really, this is showing the need for remaining or abiding in Christ. Verse 57, I think, is critical to understand this. So let's, let's look at verse 57. Jesus himself uses this illustration that he has with God the Father. He said, I live, or I experience life, or I have abundant life. I do not exist. All those things right in those two words. Because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way that I get life from the Father, is what Jesus is saying. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Just like I live, experience a full life because of my intimacy with the Father, you will live because of your intimacy with me. 
Just like food and drink give you health and strength. My relationship with you will give you abundant and eternal life. I actually think, again, Jesus was drawing a line in the sand and blowing away any possibility of having a casual relationship with Jesus. Remember to a Jew, when Jesus, well, what really got Jesus in trouble was calling God his Father. It really did. That Jesus had this personal connection with God the Father. I mean, the Jews would not even mention Yahweh's name with their mouths. There was such great respect. They had no idea, for the most part, that God desired an intimate relationship with him. They had missed this. So I think his words were appalling and shocking to any person, but especially a Jew. You also know that there are so many regulations, especially in the book of Leviticus, and how you prepare meat. What kind of meat you can eat for a Jew. And one of the abominations would be to well, eat any meat with blood in it. And because that was always a picture of life. It was sacrificial. And so all of a sudden, Jesus, a rabbi, is saying you can have a relationship with the Almighty God and there's some intimacy involved and I'm going to use the metaphor blood. Whoa. Then Jesus recaps his message in verse 58. He says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. But people that, well, eat this bread will live forever. Now actually, I don't want you to miss the point what Jesus is saying. I also want you to know that Jesus crafted this message in order to make the Jews extremely uncomfortable and maybe making us uncomfortable. But before I go further, I need to briefly address a gross misunderstanding of this text. I want to be sensitive, and I think for sure that if you've been around here for very long, you know I don't bash other churches. It's not what we're here to do. But I do need to be able to share with you a text that is so misunderstood. The Roman Catholic Church appeals to this passage as a proof of the doctrine of transubstantiation, which falsely teaches that the body and the blood of Jesus are literally in the bread and the wine of communion. And I would be happy to walk anybody through with a whole lot more detail, but, but let me just share with you some things that um, well, are a little obvious, at least in this text. 
the passage does not refer to communion because the Lord's Supper has not even been instituted at this moment. Jesus was not talking about communion. He wasn't. The Greek words here, and I guess you'll have to take this, um, take my word on it unless you can check this out, but, but the Greek word for flesh, which is used here, is not the Greek word used for body in our first Corinthians passage. And it's important. In fact, all of the communion texts, the word is different. And lastly, and this is probably the most important thing, this text tells us that anyone who participates in eating and drinking receives eternal life. Now, the truth is, and every one of us understand the gospel, if you've been here. The gospel is never about anything that you do. One does not receive life, eternal life, or God's blessing by having communion or being baptized or any other religious act. We receive life by God's grace. It's a gift. It's something we cannot work for. It is something that God gives us if we receive. The scriptures tell us that communion is for those who are already believers, not taken in order to obtain salvation. It's so clear. And you'll hear that every time, and we'll have a communion celebration next, next Sunday. But you will hear, I will invite anyone who is part of God's family. And we participate in this, not thinking this is the actual blood or the actual body of Christ, but it's a time to remember the suffering and the cost of Christ's love. It is not something where we obtain salvation. So I'd like to say this. Both the Catholic Church and many of those in Capernaum at the synagogue missed the point. The Lord was not speaking literally, but metaphorically to his people, encouraging them to appropriate him by faith, to believe in him, and to enter a relationship with him. To get their fulfillment from him. For he is the living bread. The bread of life. Please, don't miss this point. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand because there were a whole lot of people that were missing it. i got to be honest. Frustrated. Don't you get it? I've been around for two years, Jesus said. I've been healing people, teaching you, helping you understand who God is. And you keep scurrying around trying to find life in religion, in what you do. It's a relationship with me. You need me to live, live abundantly, to live eternally. Life 
is in the relationship. It's not in a religion. And I'm going to ask you, although I know so many of you, the choice is yours. I know you're hungry. I know you want to be satisfied. I know you want to experience abundant life. I do. And I know someday when you close your eyes, you want to see Jesus. I know that. No one wants the alternative, right? Existing here, plodding along, not having any purpose in life, but to get things for you and for your loved ones. And to try to go from buzz to buzz to buzz. Wow, it gets tiring. It wears you out. So the question is, what bread are you going to eat? The bread that you can go after. The bread that will satisfy you for a mere moment. Or the bread that will satisfy your spiritual life where you can live abundantly and etern- and enjoy eternally the presence of God. The question maybe even be more like this. Do you want to live or do you want to scurry? Maybe some of you are tired of scurrying. Live in life on your own. Choice is yours, just like it was 2,000 years ago to the people in Capernaum, in that synagogue, with this upstart rabbi teacher who said exactly the same thing. Living means entering a relationship with Jesus and walking with Him. And this is what we desire to do as leaders in this church, as friends, is to help you on this journey. So that, whoa, you don't have perfect marriages, but you have marriages that, that you begin to enjoy because God gives you strength. That you understand how hard circumstances are at times, but, but you're walking with the Lord and He's giving you courage and strength and perspective. And your faith is growing. And you wouldn't change it for anything. Wow. You know, I hope you come next week. Next week is an unbelievably scary passage. It is. Jesus flat out looks at his disciples and says, Okay, everyone's leaving me. No one wants to eat the living bread. And they're all going. They're gone. You know, two years after pouring your life out, all these crowds are leaving. He looks right at the disciples and says, what about you? Oh, it's such a great answer. And if you don't know it, I guess you've got to come back next week or read. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your patience. 
I'm not sure why I personally, God, have so many times in my life abandoned you thinking that I can find living water somewhere else. Or thinking that something else will satisfy me other than you. Father, I want to confess right now. I suppose if I were God and I treated you like I did at times, I guess I'm surprised I'm not consumed. When my own arrogance had led me astray, oh God, I pray. I pray that you would open our eyes. God, perhaps even right now, the very first month of 2018, we would be not only reminded but energized to say, you, you alone, you are the only one that satisfies. God, don't let the enemy deceive me. Don't let the enemy deceive us. Would we be heralds of this good news? We live in a broken world, God. Everybody just trying their best. But so many trying and going in a wrong direction. Thanks for giving us hope. Thanks for giving us good news. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for dying for us, for allowing us to become part of your family and then walking with us. God, I thank you. And I pray that not only changes us, but it changes the world we're in. In Jesus' name, amen.